Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, I'm talking to Chris Schultz, also known as the 6mm Mandalorian. Chris is an extremely experienced airsofter, having played more than 20 years, um, which interestingly is longer than some of you young listeners might actually have been alive. Um, about three years ago, Chris started airsofting as Mandalorian, as you can see on the screen. And I think most of our listeners will know what that means, but just on the off chance that you don't, a Mandalorian is a type of fictional bounty hunter from the Star Wars universe, the most recognizable of which, arguably, is Boba Fett from the Star Wars episodes 5, 6, and knock-on series and so on. Though there's lots of other ones, yada yada. In short, it's a Star Wars thing. That's going to be ultimately what this podcast is all about. So Star Wars fans, rejoice. Coming back to Chris, he joined the Galactic Airsoft Alliance, which is a US-based Star Wars airsoft group back in 2021. And over the next year, they began discussing, discussing uh, hosting an event, preparing, planning, and so on, culminating in the first Galactic Civil War event, Survivor's Endeavor, which happened in October 2022. And if that sounds familiar, that might be because we recorded a podcast last year with Matt talking about his experience at that Star Wars-themed event. So we're super, super lucky to have Chris here, one of the event organizers, to talk to us a little bit about this event. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm I'm really curious, and I guess my first question is, you've been playing Airsoft, like I was saying in the intro, for about 20 years. What made you decide to start Airsofting as a Mandalorian after you had been playing for so long already? Uh, really, it was a kind of a product of the pandemic. Uh, it was back uh, right in the, before the pandemic hit, really, it was when I decided to jump back into Airsoft. I had taken about a, a year hiatus from from the sport, going to Milsims and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided uh, when I get back into it, I want to do something different for my kit. I want to do something unique. And at that time, that was right, right when the uh, Mandalorian was starting to roll out uh, on Disney. And I'm like, I should make a Mandalorian kit. I don't want to like make a, a character Dinjarin kit, but I just want to make like a generic, my own Mandalorian kit that I could wear out to airsoft events and have fun with. Um, so that was really when I started digging into it. And there was a lot of free time during the pandemic. So uh, yeah. lots of time for, for innovation and crafting and, and getting everything right. And then um, luckily some of our airsoft fields were still running because they had a 10 foot minimum engagement distance. So the six foot distance from the pandemic rolled into the 10 foot, <laughs> uh, no, no engagement area. So yeah. it was a great way to get out and, and be out of the house and run around. So that's when I debuted the, uh, the Mandalorian kit. And okay. uh, I've been kind of rolling it as the persona ever since, um, meeting a lot of different people that eventually brought me to the Galactic Airsoft Alliance, which is a group on on Facebook that I joined and a lot of great people there and we all started about rolling into events and that kind of what brought us around to doing the Galactic Civil War series. That's awesome. So the first Airsoft game that you went to as a Mandalorian, I guess I'm assuming was not a Star Wars game. It was just like a regular game. Is that is that right? Yeah, it's just a regular weekend game and you know at, at that time it was like a 
of February. So it took me about three months to get a kit together and it, mm -hmm. it has evolved over the years to become what it is now. Um, but as far as what I was wearing at the event, you know, I showed up and, and you get a lot of eyebrows, but you yeah, also get a lot imagine. of people that are like, Hey, that's freaking cool. Like, yeah. tell me all about it. Like, what are you doing in it? How much did everything cost? And people got interested in it. And some of those people are ones that make it to uh, follow up events later on. But um, really, it's, it's just about, you know, I just wanted to do something for me that I thought was fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can only imagine what it's like if you're just like a run of the mill airsoft or even even like a renter or something like that. And some dude shows up wearing full Mando gear. Like, I can only imagine what that must have been like for the people who were there. Yeah, it's been something that's it's kind of grown. I started a, a YouTube channel a few years ago too, um, really just to to get into the aspect of okay, what what's it take to to make a video? What's it take to to put together a clip or a montage or you know longer videos and and then getting into the editing aspect and and what I've grown into in the videos that I've been doing, um, playing around in like Adobe. Uh, Premiere and, and After Effects is adding in special effects to the videos that I'm putting out. So when you have my POV vision, you see through the helmet. So you it looks like you're looking through the visor out at the enemies. Oh, awesome. and whether I'm adding in special effects on, you know, hits or whatever, but also um, thermal vision and stuff like that that I add on to the, the After Effect experience. And really, it's it was part of that pandemic thing you'd get it up to a game and then you could spend a month editing a video because you weren't going anywhere so it's a perfect yeah. time to learn those skills yeah i think a few of us picked up some uh, special projects like that during the pandemic <laughs> so yeah. let, let's pivot a bit now and start talking about the, the the game itself now i know that for like you know copyright purposes or whatever your airsoft games are not star wars games yes um but i'm curious for you guys like what was the most challenging part of taking, you know, what is really, truly like a really beloved franchise and creating an event that would please, you know, all or as many as possible, I suppose, uh, you know, as many of the fans as possible for an event like that. What was the most challenging part? Yeah, you, you had to take, uh, you had to take poll. So we had our entire, our entire Facebook group at the time was probably around like 500 some people um, from all, all different parts of the country, all different parts of of even some people out of the country mm -hmm. and you know we asked the questions what would you like to see in a, in a themed star wars game or a themed event um what what would you like to take away from it what kind of experiences would you like to have what would you want to get into the rule set and it was you know a community effort of putting the rule set together um and then from there it's really trying to incorporate as many facets into it as you can um so it's no longer just a faction on faction fight it's, you know, we have four distinct player factions that you can join. And then there's also NPCs that are you know, non-player characters. So people that are participating in the event, but they're not participating necessarily for themselves. They're there to role play a certain character and mm -hmm. to enhance the experience of the event. And, you know, between uh, like the indigenous population that we had, because we were at the, the Rock Airsoft down in Boulevard. So our events kind of take on the persona of the field they go to. So Boulevard is a, is a uh, the, the field itself, the Rock Airsoft is an old quarry. So mm -hmm. that system, the Boulevard system, is now a mining planet for the Imperials. Gotcha. And you, you incorporate that into the theme 
of the event. So you have these native population that have been disturbed by the imperial mining that come out and they just want to kill everybody because they hate everyone. So when you're thinking about uh, like Tusken Raiders on Tatooine, uh, it's, it's our spin on that. You know, what, what these guys want and what they want to do is effectively be pinatas for the players, but also a constant threat because you never know where they're going to pop up. Gotcha. Oh, I mean, this is an interesting segue. So, you know, you talk about like how uh, the Bolivar quarry or the area becomes the Bolivar system, which is which is interesting. But like, how did you decide, I guess, overall on the story or the lore behind the game? Like, did you, especially as you were leading up to the first one, yeah. like, did you have one particular scenario that you wanted to play out and just expand on that? Or did you have like a whole story that you wanted to tell um, a bit in the like sort of like Dungeons and Dragons sort of style? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question because it has uh, it has a lot of different facets to it. Because when you're looking at putting on any event, any event in, in at all, when you're trying to build the story into it, you have to you have to find a place to start. And for us, um, at least on a timeline perspective, when we're looking at the galaxy far, far away, we like looking at um, the the galactic civil war area where it was rebels versus imperials Mm -hmm. so we wanted to pick a timeline where we were all familiar we kind of know what was happening around two two bby which is two years before um roughly a new hope which was the first star wars movie that they had made or episode four um, because there's so much conflict in that area that we all know what it is and mm-hmm. what the theme is from it and and the rebels are are tired of the imperials and that's when they really start fighting up against them and and right. now as we we see more shows roll out they start digging into more and more history of of what's going on but when you're designing a specific fictional event um a lot of it comes down to what kind of characters you have available so who's there to help tell the story so your npcs your admin staff, uh, and then you know what what different factions are you rolling out? So last event, the bounty hunters were the Mandalorian guild were one and the same. So mm-hmm. that faction played a unique role in being basically space police to help keep the NPCs safe. And we're going to roll that into the next event. So you have to you start bringing in all these different parts and uh, a lot of times the story starts telling itself because you start setting up a, a narrative to how things are going to roll out and how things are going to sustain themselves gameplay wise mm-hmm. and then from there you can inject uh npc characters into the story and and like for ours then you played in a big part too because the rock is such a unique just place to play because it looks alien like a quarry just looks alien it looks something that steps right out of the film and and you're wandering around you're like god this looks crazy and then you get attacked by bulbosi coming down the rocks and uh you you feel like you're there so for us that was very easy to tie in everything else from coaxium mining to to rare crystals that were being dug up and that came the theme of that event and you know people trying to make as much money as possible or credits as possible during mm-hmm. the event i mean i got a couple of questions just coming out of that um the the first one would be so just to from my understanding like the player the people who are playing the the indigenous population were they players also or were they well i mean they were players in, in like they were actors in the game in terms of like they're playing but are they mm-hmm. staff people that you work with or are they actually people who sign up to do that role 
they're basically people who signed up to do that role. Right? Oh, there awesome. are people that were looking to participate in the event in a certain way. Uh, we have like 10 of the costumes of the Bulbo C available. So basically people who want to do more aggressive gameplay, they don't really carry, carry so much about the, the role playing aspect or like diving into a certain character. You can just be the aggressive native don't speak any galactic basic enemy and run in and just start running gun and try to take down squads. Um, so we find people that really like to play that role because it is very much a lone wolf. You're wandering off around by yourself or by a couple bovos. Um, mm-hmm. And you are that antagonist the entire event. You're not there to make friends. You're not there to have conversations. You're just there to cause trouble. And are, are were they working um, like, they're doing all this stuff, but is it at the behest of game staff or are they coming up with their own plans, their own things they want to do? Uh, a, a lot. Yeah. A lot of both of both of those roll out. Um, as far as admins go, we would be on comms with them. So if we say, Hey, we want you to go stir up some trouble over here. There's not a lot going on. We mm-hmm. could do that to just add up a little bit of chaos into the game. That's awesome. And I'm guessing the nature of those players that you selected to do that probably meant that you didn't have to do that a whole lot. They were probably causing enough trouble on their own. I would suspect. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It's sometimes you have to like steer them to a different part of the map. Cause you're like, guys, the Imperials, they're not doing too hot right now. Like you got to give them some room to breathe because everyone <laughs> wants to take them down. Like maybe go poke the, the rebels for a little bit and they'd walk yeah, off that's legit. flank or whatever. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, we're dealing with the, obviously like a fictional world, right? So even more so than our Airsoft games, which are also fictional, guys. Like we're not replicating anything, right? Like this, it's fiction. But a Star Wars, excuse me, a Galaxy Far, Far Away game uh, is going to be, it's going to require a lot more suspension of disbelief in terms of, you know, Jedis, the Force, jetpacks, like all this kind of stuff. So when you were organizing this game and trying to incorporate these very familiar and notable elements of this environment, of this um, universe, I should say, what was some of the most challenging ways that to incorporate that into your game? And like, how did you manage to get around it? Yeah, so when you're looking at <clears throat> like Jedi or Sith, uh, really what you're dealing with is, you know, fancy space wizards. Um, mm-hmm. So how, how can you bring that to life? Um, for us, we made the decision that force users weren't really an option for players. Uh, you might Your character itself might have some sort of history. Uh, maybe they were a Padawan that, you know, during the Purge, they escaped and now they're joined the Rebellion to fight. But their, their connection with the force is very um, dissipated at this point. So for us, it's very important to A create the the story of the every person the everyday person in that galaxy during that time period which at that time wasn't force users you know you look back thousands of years in the 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 lore of star wars and everything else and there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of force users running around fighting each other um Mm -hmm. but that's not what we wanted to incorporate and i think when everyone starts thinking about a star wars game everyone immediately goes oh i have a lightsaber i'm gonna bring it um so we we wanted to steer a completely away from the fact that okay there's not just going to be a whole bunch of force users running around and b uh we're gonna stay away from melee for now um, it's not going to be part of the game. We want to utilize blasters and blasters only for for combat purposes. And a lot of that stems from uh, 
being jumping around at different fields. Some don't allow melee, some do allow melee. Some people, you know, bring their own melee weapons that they've created themselves, and now you have to check everything out. So for us, it was really a decision of, okay, for our staff, for what we have right now, what can we make and execute well? Um, mm-hmm. Later on, you know, we might bring in more melee combat, vibro axes, that kind of, I mean, we got vibro blades attached and gauntlets already. So um, really for for that stem and that purpose, later on, we might look at doing something, but we really want to just hone in on that. You got a blaster on your hip and that's basically it. the only thing that's going to get you through this this day or this event or this encounter maybe a thermal detonator or two yeah and i mean that's a fair point i mean it's funny we were talking about this that in the discord today some of the guys were saying how like melee is such a consensual it has to be such a consensual thing right that i don't want a random person sticking me in the ribs with their homemade bayonet or whatever like if it's somebody i know like if it's pat pat can do you know it's my best friend he can do what literally whatever he wants to me but some <laughs> random person who i don't know different rules right yeah so i i can totally see from even just from a pure safety standpoint um that i think this seems like for right now certainly seems like a, a good safe bet to make sure everyone has a has a good time the, and you know as a as a knock-on question to that i think you know, you're showing up to the game with a built-in vibro blade, and you know it's totally badass, by the way. Um, <laughs> but like, you're you know you're showing up with all this kit, but presumably, like, if I, I would love to do a Star Wars game, but I don't have Mandalorian kit, right? So my question is like, how do you make this accessible? Like, how do you make it so that someone who is a regular airsofter can figure out a way to attend this game without you know going on Etsy and buying a full you know, stormtrooper suit or whatever. Yeah, you look at how much somebody could spend on on one of these events and really, you know, we've got we've got one guy who attended the last event and he had his own original character. Um, but it it kind of had a Cad Bane, so like that that cowboy bounty hunter look to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and players just started calling him Cad Bane later on through the event. And he was he was a rebel character, but he kind of gravitated towards the outlaw faction and working with them more. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually in, in the event, you know, he just said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll start being Cad Bane. And then you look at him now and he is, you know, currently shelling out for a complete Cad Bane loadout um, to wow. be as, as close to the, that character as he can be for the next event. And he's actually stepping in as one of the NPCs uh, in the uh, bounty hunter guild that is going to be there but you look at the flip side of that okay yes that's very expensive it takes a lot of commitment to get to that level to want to do that to especially something that you may be only doing once or twice a year um, and then you look at the other side what's the entry level for this it's actually really cheap so um, first first and foremost our events are very affordable it's like $60 if you pre-order your ticket ticket and that the next one is a 30-hour event, so it's going to run 30 hours continuously. Only 60 bucks to get you in the door. And, yeah, and I, I'm not strong in math, but that's $2 an hour, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty affordable. So yeah. on, on the other side there, we have a really cool community, both on Facebook and on Discord, uh, where, we, where we list out budget builds. And we'll actually have a budget build coming onto our website, which is galacticcivilwar.com, and that's galactic hyphen civil hyphen war.com uh and i'll be make able sure to, to get... put a link in description yeah. and everything for all you guys perfect uh and on that website we have a lot of resources so whether it's uh kits and and mods for your blasters to make them look or your 
you know, your M4 to make it look more like a blaster. Um, and same thing with a budget costume. So you can get a budget $50 can get you a basic Imperial look. So it's not going to be a stormtrooper. You're not going to be able to get a full stormtrooper outfit for $50 unless you're looking very close on Craigslist and somebody's <laughs> life in the 501st has gone real bad. Um, yeah. But as far as, you know, getting that Imperial look, because the Imperial army encompasses a lot or encompasses a lot. And uh, you can see that now when you're looking at the new shows that come out, because it's not about, you know, a thousand stormtroopers. It's about the everyday Imperial soldier which could be very much just a black flight suit and an imperial hat. And then you mm-hmm. throw on maybe your belt, uh, your belt kit, and then you're good to go as an imperial soldier and you'll look the role. You spend another $10, get an imperial patch on your, on your side, and then you look just like a character out of Star Wars. So a lot of times it's about just maybe taking a step back and you're not looking at the main character or you're not looking at the the character that is the the big bad uh, of the franchise, but you look mm-hmm. to the left and you say, oh, that's an officer. That's a very cheap costume to do, or this is a, a standard Imperial soldier. And a lot of those costumes, you can build on those as time goes on. So you could start with a Imperial army soldier, and then it turns into a mud trooper, which is very close to a stormtrooper. So, yeah, and I mean, you know, this this is so, it's such an interesting concept too. The idea, this idea of like, you know, you build your costume over time. Like as someone who's done cosplay for many years and stuff, like the first thing I ever came out with was not is not what I'm wearing today. Like it's been I've learned and I've grown and I've built onto it. And I, you know, like I'm sure it's the same thing with you and your Mando kit. Like mm-hmm. you're adding parts, you're figuring out stuff, just kind of like your airsoft kit. To be honest, guys, like what you're wearing today is not is likely not what you're wear, wearing on your first day of airsoft. So like. You know, if you're interested in um, in Star Wars games, like, I mean, you start your entry point just like you do, I guess, with Airsoft, except I would say it's probably a lot cheaper <laughs> yeah. to, to get into uh, than, uh, than maybe our first kits. But, you, you know, this, this raises another interesting question, and it's that, you know, presumably a lot of people who will want to go, and I thought you mentioned the factions, right? But you, presumably a lot of players are going to want to be the good guys. Right. But I guess you can only let so many people play the Imperials. And so some of the people are going to have to play the bad guys, the rebels. Right. Because the Empire did nothing wrong, by the way, just so we're clear. (laughs) Um, So from a gameplay balance, though, like how do you uh, assign and balance the teams, but also try and accommodate everybody's preferences? Yeah. So the biggest part with that is um, for us, the first event we didn't really do anything to steer people one direction or another for imperial or rebel um and that led to a a higher population of of rebels like you were saying people want to be the good guys um which is is pretty funny because when you look at the second event we have more people who are on the rebel side that are moving to the imperial side next event and it was before we even started uh doing more initiatives or or more ways to get imperials on board so um the next event we have like an additional credit bonus so we have like end game economy and we can talk about that a little bit later but that uh is all stemmed on credits so fake monies mm-hmm. um and we have additional sign-on bonuses for imperial soldiers to try to stem and get that that faction really bulked up for the next event because not only do people want to be the good guys but they want to fight the bad guys. So there, there's, you know, you want to have a good presence of them there to be able to, you know, have a good 
interaction between them and all the other factions in terms of the combat aspect of the event. Well, so, and I think it's an interesting thing you bring up and I'm, I'm happy to get into it. So let's talk about this economy that you've built. Cause I think that's a very, it's a very unique thing. I, I haven't heard of this at any other Airsoft events before. So let, let's get into it. So you've got this, from my understanding, like you have this in-game economy where players can earn credits for their character for themselves and they can use that to unlock certain upgrades that are permanent, right? Yep. So the the main deal and the main draw of that economy is to immerse the players more into it. And it's a great way to incentivize people to do certain objectives, certain missions, stay on task, because that's how they're going to earn credits. You know, just wandering around, camping the Imperial base uh, and shooting them all day is not going to earn you any credits because that that wasn't your mission. That wasn't your mm-hmm. objective. Uh, but going and getting intel on different parts of the map and reporting it back to command, that can give you credits for your squad. So uh, for the, the economy itself, uh, there has to be things that people can buy. You know, you have to earn money and you have to spend money. Uh, and for us and what we're wanting to do and build an entire series, we wanted things available to players that essentially we call it character progression and you hear that a lot in in video games really you know your what's your character progression how does it feel like you're growing improving uh so you basically start off all the players on the same footing um they're walking around they're shooting semi-auto they one bp will take them down if players come and show up in mandalorian armor well they get an additional two bp strikes on them so you wear something ridiculous you're gonna get a little bit of something in return from it, but then the other players can also unlock personal shield uh, force fields that basically give them additional two kits, and those are like glowing armbands that you know you usually wear for running at night, and those mm-hmm. illuminate. So at during the night portions of the game, it could be a detriment activating that shield because now you can pull people into your direction. They they see you. They see this glowing light from a mile away. Right. Um, but as far as the rest of the economy, spending money, um, real blasters. So we have a really good relationship with DT Blasterworks because their founder, the guy who runs that site, which does all sorts of airsoft gun uh, conversions into blasters, he's one of the founders of Galactic uh, Airsoft Alliance. So Anders uh, Albertson, he's the uh, one of the main founders of there, and he runs that website. So he's able to provide all of these kits for the games that we outfit blasters and we have them for sale. So you earn enough credits, you're walking away with a a new blaster pistol that you can take home with you from the event. Uh, Other upgrades can be like repeating mods. So you might be running around shooting semi-auto, but if you get this very expensive upgrade, now you unlock full auto for your gun, which the only other guns in the game which can be full auto are what we call... uh, heavy blasters so heavy repeating blasters so they're big they look like Mm -hmm. only a wookie would be comfortable carrying them around so whether it's an mg42 or a a minigun you know anything that is just massive and heavy can qualify to be a heavy repeating blaster so they're the only ones that can use a drum mag and everything but you unlock a heavy uh the uh, repeating mod on your blaster you could have that on your pistol running around shooting full auto so different ways to increase your combat prowess by increasing maybe your BB strikes, um, 
this little droid behind me here. That is a medical droid, and he has the ability to self-revive if uh, if you have purchased one of those guys. So you have them on your shoulder. At the end of your bleed-out, you come back into the game. So if you get touched while you're in bleed-out, you go back to your spawn. But if you don't get touched, physically touched, that little droid can bring you back into the game. Interesting. And just as a, as a side note, like I guess a lot of these upgrades are... Or, and these Not just upgrades, but these like gameplay elements they're sort of i would assume are self-policed right like that you're we're relying on players to be honest even more so than in a regular game right yeah so as far as uh self-policing yeah it's very much that aspect where you buy the 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 wristband that gives you the shield um other other players can see it though so it has to be visible they have to be able to see that it's there uh, the the medical droid is literally a three D printed droid that I had built like twenty of them for the last event. So there are twenty of those available for players to buy upgrade, and you'd see them on people's shoulder. So you know that they'd have the ability to get up if you didn't go to them and touch them. Um, also, thermal detonators could send them back to spawn too. Uh, you're not right. getting back up from a, a thermal detonator. So and so. Thermal detonators for you guys, I guess, are, I mean, just to back up for a second, where you are in the U.S., you guys do have access to pyro airsoft grenades, which, you know, in Canada is something we have never used. But if I ever get down there, like I said in a podcast that I was on a little while ago, I'm expecting to spend roughly $6,000 on pyro while I'm in the States, (laughs) but different conversation. So I'm guessing that that qualifies for any of the grenades that players might be using and bringing with them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's it's anything that has an audible detonation that uh, it, it's well heard. So whether it's like a, a Bang 22 that is like the 22 primer grenades uh, or like a EG-67, uh, same thing, pyro grenades or tag tag pyros, same thing. Uh, anything that has that audible detonation, we call those thermal detonators. Now, gotcha. like just the, the spring or like the the gas spewing grenades, those just count as BB strikes against targets. It, it has to have the audible big boom uh, to count as a thermal detonator. Cool. Uh, aside from stuff like that, like what are some of the unique gameplay or like even roleplay, I guess, mechanics uh, that you're most excited and proud of? You know, really it comes down to what our players do. So we can implement all the things that we want to but it all comes down to the relationships of the the players and getting involved in the role-playing aspect really that that uh, drives the event further Um, but certain things that that staff has implemented into the game i think one of my favorite is our bounty hunting system which we use rf trackers so radio frequency trackers um, and we we tag targets take a photo of them that gets put up in the guild so there is a a visual okay this is the target i'm hunting but then there's also tracking fobs and handheld remotes that we use to track down those cart targets and really it's about innovating everyday stuff that you wouldn't think about even putting into a game so one of these trackers um, which can track four different targets because we have four different fobs um, it's for cats so it's a no it's a way. radio tracker for cats because you you're trying to figure out okay we don't necessarily want to use gps because gps can bounce off everything if somebody goes into a build, building that signal's gone because it loses satellite mm-hmm. contract but you think about the the comparison between a cat and an airsoft player 
they're both going to be in the same kind of situation going through shrubs going through bushes being in trees um and you want a way to detect it and it's a very cool um like marco polo hot cold uh for the handheld itself so it's very interactive for the person using it so you point in a direction if you have a lock on a signal it's going to beep very loud if you're pointing towards your target but if you turn away from them it's going to start beeping really slow and then back towards them faster so it's it's very much a very cool thing to use on the field yeah. as well because as you get closer to the targets it starts beeping louder in your hand you, you start going okay what's well, about to happen they're around this tree like we're getting close um and and that's really my favorite thing that we've uh, implemented and it was something that i started using uh, a couple years ago before we even started doing galactic civil wars like here's the kit i show up to a field um I've been doing Tarkov events at uh, Action Sports Wisconsin, which is where the next event is being held. And they let me do a bounty hunter NPC there where we would randomly target, tag different players, and then I would go Mm -hmm. try to stalk them down and kill them while they're doing their Tarkov thing of trying to survive. So uh, That's amazing. What a great idea. Building that component into a, a full bounty hunters guild because now you actually have a feasible way of finding a specific player on the field with with an additional tool. Because without this tool, you could say, go find this guy. You could be wandering out there for days. But yeah, really. if you're dealing with something that can pick up on a target that is a thousand feet away from you or further, uh, and then there's another one that we have, same thing. It's actually used for uh, drones. So if you lose your drone, this little beacon is on a drone. It helps you track it down. Same thing, drones can drift for a mile, fall anywhere. Airsoft players could be anywhere in that vicinity too. So use that same technology, and now you have a feasible way of tracking down a specific, a specific target. Uh, and then you can incorporate that 100 different ways into an airsoft game. Before, if you say, I need you to go pick up this cargo, and you give them a grid, grid location, okay, good. But now if you've got something in your hand because you're wandering over this direction and it's now it's interacting with you as you're trying to complete your objective, it, it takes that player uh, interaction to a different level. Man, I love that. I, just the creativity is amazing. Like, it, you know, it reminds me of like, you know, kit bashing when you're making you know, Star Wars models, you know, like you're, you're taking two models and like slamming them together. It's not supposed to be that, but now we're figuring out a way yep. to make it work. And you see that a lot in Airsoft, I think, and not just Airsoft, but like LARP in, in general and stuff. But like, I think about, oh, well, we want this thing on an objective that tracks how much time each team has been holding this objective for. Have y'all ever heard of a chess timer? Because that's basically what you're describing. Like, it's just so creative. And I'm I'm, I'm really jazzed to hear you say that because that particular technology, like, I had never considered that application in that way, but that's so clever. So, yeah, I can I can see you being totally jazzed about that. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And as far as anything else, you know, we incorporate, it, it's really about giving players different things to do, too. So one of the factions, which is an outlaw faction, which is a more of a neutral faction, and we use like the Mandalorians and the outlaws as kind of the neutral faction. So they might be doing something that is directly opposing the Empire or going to attack the Empire at one point, but they aren't necessarily always hostile towards one or the other. Uh, So as far as that, the the outlaw, which was ran by Captain Han Solo, uh, they had a, a cantina set up. So they 
they sold drinks, they sold food, they sold, and this is all for in-game credits. You walk up, you slap down credits, and credits are a, a tangible thing. They are either bronze, gold, or silver, uh, 3D printed things that look like they came from, you know, galaxy far, far away. And each of them have their own value, either 10, 50, or 100. And you could walk up, throw down 50 credits, and you could get some drink and some food at the cantina and have a full soundtrack track playing the whole time. Uh, and it, it gives you the ambience. But not only that, Han Solo brought up two of his friends who are Sabak, which is a card game in Star Wars, um, dealers. So we had a, a den set up where people could go with those credits, learn how to play Sabak, and then lose all their credits to the dealers <laughs> or you know yeah. there were some that won and we had a we had a few players that were really good at it and really cleaned house a lot and made a lot of credits um those players were invited back and last game was um was a there was a, some hard stops in the event uh just due to the rocky terrain of the rock couldn't run mm -hmm. overnight events only had a night fight in the city but uh, there were certain people that we basically called high rollers. So they were invited to come back to the cantina at night for a high rollers game. So everyone had to bring their credits and then they all fought for the big pot at the night. So nice. So there's some, really, really cool. some things that, you know, some players may not even know where that's going on because they, they never went into the cantina to play because they're like, ah, cards aren't my thing. So you don't need to be part of the tournament if that's not your thing. And there's, all different aspects, whether it's the combat, the role playing, the the cards, um, all different aspects of the event that you can choose which ones you want to be a part of, or try to be a part of everything a little bit to uh, to really change your experience to better suit yourself. That's awesome. I, I got I got two questions, and uh, I want to just. Uh, brief them both because I don't want for, to forget either of them. The first one has to do with role play for the individual player, and then the other one has to do with um, sort of non-player like storyline events. But starting with the with the role play, how much? Uh, and I, I get the sort of sense that like you can take part into the role playing as much or as little as you want, really. But is there sort of like a minimum role playing threshold that is required, like as a regular, just run of the mill player? Is there, is there some sort of expectation that you're probably going to want to get into character a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's as far as just suspending your disbelief for as much as you can really, mm -hmm. really like, you know, you are a rebel soldier. And if all you want to do is kill Imperials, that's fine. That's your MO. Just play that route. Um, right. And most players who are, are coming to a Star Wars event already have that uh, mentality there. You know, they're there because they, they want to be part of something different than just a regular weekend game. So uh, the other aspect of that now is there we have a little bit more strict costume or, or loadout requirements for players that are coming to the games. You know, you can't wear jeans, you can't wear baseball caps, you can't wear some of these very, very earth identified clothing items. Um, and that steers away some of the people that are just like, Oh, there's a thing going on this weekend. Let's go to it with our, you know, jeans and white t-shirt baseball hat kind of deal. So that steers them away because, now there's some restrictions on it, just like there mm -hmm. can be in just about any milsim you go to. There's uniform requirements, and we're we're taking a step towards that. And we don't want to be so so exclusive that we are giving 501st requirements for your your yeah. imperial loadouts. But you know, wear black. Now yeah, you can be absolutely. an imperial. 
So the other question that I had, so it's about like non-player characters and like storylines and stuff. Like, are there events throughout the game that you as as game staff set up for storyline reasons that players, you know, will experience? And I mean, not necessarily every single player will experience them, but they you might experience that and go, oh my God, I just saw like, something like out of the ordinary like some guy in a wookie suit or something do like blast some dude and now he's dead yeah. and he's just lying there or whatever yeah there's there was a good uh there's a couple experiences that i'll give you from the last event and and we don't want to set up you know a, a strict structure of this is a story this is how it's going to unfold every time because we want it to be organic and sometimes mm-hmm. things that we want to happen may not happen and that's okay we can we can build that up for a different event or a different thing um, but as far as like having things that might happen at a certain time, uh, last event we had a HK unit, which if people don't know what an HK unit, it's from uh, Knights of the Old Republic kind of area era, and it is a a droid, a hunter killer droid. Uh, so basically, a very 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 mean robot that can do a lot of damage to a lot of people. So throughout the day, people had been bringing parts that they've been finding on the field because everything that is lootable on the field is labeled with a purple sticker. So you find something on the on the ground, it's got a purple sticker. Well, now you got to figure out who's going to pay money for this. So you might wander mm-hmm. around town, start talking to people. Maybe someone will point you in the right direction or someone might see you with that, wait for you to get into a corner and then shoot you and take it from you. So these lootable items... Um, like droid parts were found around the field including a a helmet and players would take it to the droid builder and they'd get rewarded credits for it well the first time they brought that hk unit online it didn't really remember what it was supposed to do except kill everyone that wasn't its master so (laughs) it walked out of out of the door and immediately grabbed a, a gun a mg42 that was sitting next to a wall and just started lighting anything up that was moving. So yeah, it's like the Danny DeVito meme. Anyway, I started blasting. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I just started blasting. Uh, exactly. And, and that, that was great because we didn't tell anyone at the event that there was going to be like this character there. So all of a sudden this juggernaut pops out and it looks like a droid. It's walking around. It's, it's speaking all gargled because it's, it's, uh, it's communicators malfunction. So you don't know what it's really saying. Um, and it's just starts killing people. And you're like, is it just killing everybody? Is it killing this guy for a reason? Does it just hate Jawas? Why is he shooting him so much? Like, <laughs> and, and at that time it was lucky because the majority of the Mandalorian group was in, in the town. So it took us about three minutes to really rally around and get it pinned down and it, figure out a way to, to shut it off. Uh, from there, it had gotten reprogrammed by the droid maker to be a little bit more compliant to orders. So from there, it jumped around the event, either going after rebels or attacking Imperials for a certain time. And uh, it'll kind of take that that ba- additional balance part to the next event where they have this droid that is, well, once it gets fixed, let's see, once the droid gets fixed, because they uh, they shoved some very unstable energy source into the droid at the last event to power it for the last 30 minutes that basically melted everything inside of it now that's that's the role play aspect right like that that's what but it's what happens somebody who's like hey we have unrefined coaxium we can put it inside it and it can power it for a while well it did 
until it melted its innards. So mm-hmm. next event, it will be coming back. And we actually have a very cool upgrade going into that as well, uh, which is a hit detection system for our Juggernaut characters, which is I'm very excited to to roll this out because it's something that people aren't using and wouldn't really use normally. Mm-hmm. But for a Juggernaut character, uh, it, it is great because not only does it detect hits in the, the helmet itself, but the chest plate and the back plate detect hits as well. And you can set up its life capability uh, based on how durable you want that target to be. So... That's amazing. Is that something that you guys designed like purpose built or is that something that again you've kitbashed from something else? It's a there's a company out of China that makes the the hit detection system. Okay. And it's been really kitbashed for the HK unit because the helmet here for the HK unit has all of the sensors inside. So if you look in the eyeballs here, mm-hmm. these have two laser receptacles in them. And then it also has one on the back as well. So besides BB strikes, there are laser systems that we have too. So we have specific weapons that will have these on them that players can unlock or do certain missions to get. And from 500 meters away, now you have the ability to start attacking a juggernaut, which is an airsoft when you say 500 meters. Now you can actually deal with like okay, like I can put a 20 times scope on a rifle and I can actually play as like a sniper instead of just putting on a ghillie suit and just sitting there waiting for someone to get within, you know, 100 yards of you so you can effectively use your bolt-action rifle. Yeah, because like 500 feet in airsoft is all, is already a dream. So like talking about 500 meters, you can forget it, right? That's yeah. That's awesome. Very, very creative. So... With respect to, so it's interesting. So you're bringing up this this juggernaut mechanic and stuff like that, and I, I wonder, like, with a lot of these mechanics, like, do you play test them before they hit the game, or how does that work? Yeah, so we had uh, we had taken probably about four or five months to really uh, dig into our rule set that we wanted to implement into the game, and a lot of it had not been play tested. So whether it's a a three minute bleed out and then you could come back into the game, um, a lot of that was based on previous experiences at different games that we have been to. So while we have a wide, wide rule book and wide rules for this event, because there are so many intricacies to the the things that we're doing, um, whether it's self revives or Bakta vials or uh, Bakta sprayers or thermal detonators or Mandalorian armor or stormtrooper armor, like each one has their own kind of perk to it. Um, it's really, it was having really, really in-depth discussions with everyone and seeing what would work the best, how many things, how many hits would be good enough to feel like it's strong, but not too, too good to feel like it's overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we came up with that rule book and a lot of it came from other games. So uh, the Tarkov event that I had told you about, that was one that you had, if you had armor or armor plates, you would get additional BB strikes. So I'd played in events where it isn't just one shot, one kill kind of deal. And I knew that it can work. And I knew that it, it makes sense as long as it is visually able to be picked up on. So if you can see that someone has a bright colored armband and you know it's going to take more than one shot, it's it'll work. 
you know, as long as you're playing with honesty, which in Airsoft, it's the only way anything's ever going to work. So yeah, you got it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it just sounds just so, so, so cool to hear about all, all this stuff, I guess. My only question, and I think this is one of the fundamental things that I always ask myself, um, and it's you know the reason this channel exists and all this kind of stuff, but it's always about learning from the lessons that we have. And so when you think about Survivor's Endeavor, um, what are some of the lessons that you learned that you're really taking to the next event to either you know start, stop, or continue doing? Yeah. So one of the, the big things we had at the first event was... Um restricted ammo uh for basically your carrying capacity for like the beginning of the event or certain places that you had to reload um we had like mandalorians and outlaws could only reload their weapons at the the munitions shop at the last event and really that felt more of like a tedious task than we than it came out to be like a a cool like interactive thing so we kind of scrapped that so no players can only reload at their main bases. Um, so we kind of scrapped like having to pay for reloads as a, basically a credit dump. You know, everyone's earning credits. We want a way to like siphon credits out of the game. Ammo consumption could be one of them, but it really didn't have the, the feel that we wanted to it. So we ended up scrapping that because a lot of players didn't shoot a lot of shots at Survivor Endeavor. So having a fee on how much it costs to reload didn't really affect them because some people didn't reload. You know, they went out there with 500 rounds and they came back with 200. So, <laughs> you know, they, they were fine and it, it, it slowed down certain aspects of gameplay or, or caused people to, you know, walk around to like get into a certain spot to do that. And it, it didn't really feel the best. So we, we scrapped that part out of it. Um, another one would be like the, the self-revived mechanic. So <clears throat> the medical droids have the ability to uh, cause people to self-revive if they haven't been touched or a grenade hasn't gone off by them. Uh, but also people wearing plastoid armor, so stormtroopers, because we wanted right. that to be a force multiplier. Because um, anyone who's ever put on a full suit of armor or put on a stormtrooper helmet knows you are basically handicapping yourself a lot by doing so. So, <laughs> yeah. so we wanted something to be a, a big enough incentive for our players that, okay, if I'm wearing a stormtrooper outfit, like I'm going to have a good bonus. So uh, at the last event, it was self-revive. Um, there was only one person that basically had that rule from the plastoid. And we ended up... Uh, looking at that rule and we tweaked it so now people only need to have like a helmet and then either a front and back chest piece or a chest and like two other pieces of armor and then they can get the blastoid perk so we lowered the bar the entry bar there so people coming in with like a scout trooper armor that you know looks you know, maybe it doesn't have all the pieces to it but still looks like a scout trooper or a mud trooper or a the, any of the variants of the troopers in their plastoid armor, they have that perk and it doesn't feel like it's a complete detriment. So now after two minute bleed out, um, we changed it from three minutes, to two minutes. So sped it up a little bit, but then we also, because we want to reward the people that are wearing the full stormtrooper armor more. So now if you are in a full getup of stormtrooper armor or 
death trooper or whatever you have. Um, we take a catalog at the beginning of the event and we make note, you have the ability now to uh, self-revive at one minute. So each piece of armor you have after that, that third, that uh, helmet chest back, every piece of armor you have after that will take off time for that self-revive. So if you're running around not being able to see anything in stormtrooper armor, like in one minute, you're back into the game. So you just, you just need to wait, survive long enough, you know, on the ground to get back up in a minute. And that is a huge force multiplier for like, say the Imperials. Now, anybody can have plastoid armor, but if you are a rebel that is commandeered or has taken bits of random stormtrooper armor and put them on you, well, now we slap a colored armband on you just so there is identification. Very cool. This, you know, like it's really interesting. I, I know uh, in one of the previous podcasts, I was talking to Eric from House Gamers and uh, sorry, uh, Eric from Gun Gamers, I should say, yeah. House Gamers, Gun Gamers. And um, Eric was was really talking about how there's so much opportunity with Airsoft to implement new ways of experiencing this type of gameplay. And I mean, it's not just about the emergent gameplay that you guys are talking about during your scenarios, but it's legitimately like taking Airsoft and uh, taking stripping out sort of the military aspect that Airsoft initially came from and really, again, kit bashing, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to so, uh, putting that application in something else and you know, what, what you're describing with Survivor's Endeavor is, you know, is LARPing, right? And yeah. I don't think there's there's any reason that you shouldn't be able to have, uh, not have an Airsoft LARP. Like I've, I've dealt with uh, and uh, worked with a lot of local LARPers here and they have really cool events, but they're built in this medieval fantasy world. What's to say you couldn't do that with Airsoft about Star Wars or about, you know, pirates or whatever, right? Like as long as it involves guns, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, laser space swords, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, to me, it, it's just such a cool thing to see you guys looking at, this is the kind of event we want to run and how can Airsoft fit into that and amplify all of that, right? And work together rather than try and be at odds and be like, oh no, Airsoft doesn't do that. It's like, it can, you just need to be creative about it. Would you guys absolutely are. It's just really phenomenal to see that. Yeah. One of the the big things that we started to notice when we, when we really started recruiting for the event is it's a lot easier for us to get people who have never played Airsoft on board with this, the event idea, because to them, they might be cosplayers or they might be part of official costume clubs. So they know how to do all of the things that might be very intimidating to maybe an airsofter. And then them trying to figure out the air, airsoft aspect of the event. And mm-hmm. for us, we wanted to focus more on it being a, a galaxy far, far away game that used airsoft for combat. And really that's, that's what we're trying to build and grow on. And that's not to say that there isn't, you know, combat and there isn't ways to to go out and sling a bunch of BBs at people because because there are. You just need to listen to your commanders and tell them, you know, I'm I'm itching to put a herd on the Empire. Where do you send our squad right now to, to make that happen? And yeah. they can they can keep putting you out into certain scenarios where you're going to be pulling the trigger all day. Or if they know that you are more into the role play aspect and trying to find different ways to overcome situations that they might send you into the cantina to make a deal with with the smugglers to get something to a certain area so now you have a tactical advantage of 
of a respawn point on a different part of the map by interacting with these smugglers. That's just, I mean, I would be absolutely thrilled to be able to make it down for one of your games. I would just be in my glee, I think. And especially like, again, because it's not about like showing up to an airsoft game and just with your, you know, rolling up with your squad and rolling balls all day. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, you certainly could do that if you wanted to put the hurt on the, uh, the bad guys, the rebels, right? Like all day long, if that's what you want yep. to do. But yeah, it's just such a different dynamic, right? So I, you know, it'd be amazing. So um, for those of us, uh, for for the people who are listening, so the next, can you plug the next event when and where? Yeah, so the next event we are having at Action Sports Wisconsin in Wisconsin. Uh, it is a a field that I've I frequented. It's one that's very close to me. So the first event we were down down in Missouri. This one is actually what I would consider more my local field. Um, and they have a very cool uh, setup using containers for their city. They've actually designed it so it has the feel of a city. There's Street Avenue. There's there's different shop locations that we're going to be able to utilize for our vendors. Um, but it is uh, May 6th through 7th, and that is coming up this year. So we have our pre-orders open right now. You can find them on the website. We'll have links for you uh, to get to that event and that info. Um, it is a four-faction uh, fight, so you, if you have Mandalorian armor ready to go, you submit your kit photo to us, and then we can unlock that ticket for you. Uh, smuggler tickets are going quick, or outlaw tickets are going quick as well, so jump in the Discord or contact us via the uh, rule document. We have an email though for you you can reach out to, and Rebels and Imperials are open as well. Uh, so we're looking at probably capping this event off at roughly 200 some players uh, for this one uh, just because we have a lot of things we want to do and we want to focus more on the experience that our players are having than shoving a lot of people into a space and thinking they're going to be able to coexist without killing each other all the time so (laughs) well chris i can't thank you enough for joining me on this podcast Uh, i learned so much it's been just an absolute joy to talk to you uh, about this i'm i'm hyped for it and i'm not even gonna go and i'm super hyped yeah uh it's uh you know again like i said it's just such a, a wonderful way for people to explore their own creativity their own passion for you know whatever it is uh their own fandom and also to explore airsoft at the same time so you know kudos to you for putting this off uh, i wish you all the best at the event i know sometimes it can be a little nerve-wracking too but i know it's going to be amazing and i can't uh if you're up for it i'd love to do an after action with you and talk about how it went and uh lessons learned again and uh yeah i I just love to so again thank you so much for being here guys oh yeah i just want to say thank you for having me on the show here phil i really appreciate being uh, able to plug the event just talk about random stuff with you airsoft with you uh especially upcoming events are always great to talk about um we have the galactic airsoft alliance on facebook you can find us there and we'll have a couple other links for you to to track down the event and other info awesome and guys that is all that everything we have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, all the links to everything you need plus more, including the Discord. It's all going to be in the description. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you next time.